Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. We're going to open the show today as we always do by stating that the goal of this program is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. Today, we are deviating from our recent focus on wraparound services and are returning to the provider space. My reason for this is there has been some significant recent activity in the GI space with respect to private equity. Therefore, I thought it would be timely to have another session on this topic. Regular listeners will recall that we had Michael Weinstein on last year, but a lot has happened since then. It's time to revisit the subject. To assist us in our discussion around private equity and GI, we are very fortunate to have as our guest today, the father of private equity and gastroenterology, Dr. Jim Levitt, who is the founder of GastroHealth, one of the largest GI practices in the country, and the first to be ever engaged with private equity. Jim founded and built GastroHealth, which became the largest GI practice in South Florida, in the Miami area. But in 2016, GastroHealth became the first GI practice to engage with a private equity firm to assist them in expanding their growth. Since then, GastroHealth has expanded nationally, is now a coast-to-coast GI practice. I've known Jim for many years and consider him to be a good friend. I've always had a lot of respect for his keen business sense and his passion for everything GI. In preparation for my shows, I usually go online and look for background information. It's usually pretty easy since people typically love writing things about themselves. Well, with Jim, this was more difficult. I was surprised. He doesn't boast about himself online. It's not easy to get details. I can't believe I'm actually going to refer to him today as humble. We'll have to get it all out of him on the show. You will find him to be quite an interesting and entertaining person. Welcome to the show, Jim. Well, thanks, Larry. But I I will say, Larry, I want to thank you for saying I was the father of uh, private equity and not the grandfather. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, we know you're going to be a new grandfather pretty soon. So that would have been appropriate. Okay, so let's let's begin with this. Since I wasn't able to get the details about you and your career online, this is your opportunity. Tell us about yourself, your career, and how you built GastroHealth. I grew up in the Northeast, and I always thought of myself as a Northeasterner. And so high school, you know, college, medical school, and I thought uh, for training, I would go somewhere else and live for a few years and move back to the Northeast. So I went down to Miami, just I thought it would be very different. And it certainly is different than the Northeast. Um, but after three winters, that was it. I was not moving back to the cold. <laughs> so that, that's how I wound up in Miami, just sort of semi-accidentally. And I fallen in love with Miami. And, and then I fell in love with GI. I, I originally thought uh, when I was coming out of medical school about surgery. Um, and But I interviewed at a few uh, surgical fellowships, you know, residencies back then. It was oh man, it's every other night for five years. And if you're lucky, you get to stay your off nights and work all night too. And I said, this doesn't sound right to me. Um, if you talk about work-life balance, it didn't seem to be much. And and then I think I fell in love with gastroenterology because it was the best of both worlds. It had that internal medicine, had that surgical component. And so um, it, it's easy to become pa- compassionate about it. And I think, uh, Larry, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with me, as we move forward, and as we, I've met so many gastroenterologists through my career, whether it's just the way we met or through meeting people in private equity uh, discussions, 
I really like gastroenterologists. We tend to be a really good group of people and very social. And, and so, you know, I couldn't have chosen a better field, I think. And th that's sort of where we started. I was the fourth person in my practice. And now we're, you know, large. We started consolidating back in, in 1993, actually. Uh, it would have been 1992, but Hurricane Andrew put a dent in that for a little bit. And um, then we've been consolidating ever since and growing. So you built yourself in South Florida. And how big did you become just in Florida? How, how large was the group? Yeah, so we started with four. We grew to seven. We merged two other groups in, in uh, 1993. We got to 13. We grew that to 17. I mean, there were some retirements and some new, new additions. And then we merged again in 2006 to get to Gastro Health at 27. And then from 2006 to 2014, we went from 27 to 47, all in the southeast portion of primarily Miami-Dade County and southern Broward County, so sort of density in that area. And the reasons we merged or, you know, grew, it, it sort of morphed over time. Initially, it was just to get better leverage payers and to be able to have enough volume to do ancillary services. Our, our motivations, of course, have changed over time. So the groups, so you, you grew by a, a merging addition type of model rather than pure uh, organic growth. Well, it was both. It was both. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it was a degree of both, but it sounds like you added a lot of practices. So what do you think it was that, I know you're a very convincing person, but what, what do you think it was that got the groups to want to give up their independence and become part of gastro health? Yeah. So I, I think they saw the future. You have to, you know, lay it out there. But it, I, initially, I think it was just the concept of this strength in numbers, going to payers, uh, getting involved in ancillary revenue streams, being able to, obviously, the more volume you put through these ancillary streams, the higher the return on investment is. And so I think it was just that concept. There was downward a lot of downward pressure in Miami-Dade County in the South Florida area on our reimbursements, and people were feeling very vulnerable. Um, and so over time, they got the message and they could see where we were. You know, you get to a certain tipping point, Larry, where you, you have to convince people and they have to have some faith. And then at some point, you can show them results. And so then it, this, the argument or the discussion can become easier. But it wasn't easy to do, no matter. I, it never was it easy. We all had day jobs. Plus, we have to do all the stuff about merging. So it was quite a daunting experience, um, a learning experience, but it was a, um, worthwhile. But it was, must have been a, a strategic plan of yours and your group that you wanted to, to make this a bigger entity. Yeah, we had to make it a bigger entity. Um, it, 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 otherwise, we were going to be irrelevant. And then, of course, at, by 2012, 2014, we were 47 docs and we would go to payers in the Florida. We would go to the, you know, we weren't going to the local reps we're going to the head people at the state level but we weren't big enough we didn't cover enough geography we weren't a big enough spend to do exotic programs um, they were more interested in cardiology and, and oncology and orthopedics and stuff like that and so it, there was just a limit to what we could do so it became obvious we had to grow a larger volume of uh, docs and a bigger geography throughout the state initially and so how could we do it in a way we went from 2006 
2014 and went from 27 to 47. That's eight years. We had to speed that up. What could we do that would be a catalyst that would take us a, a, a lot further and a lot faster? And that's when we started to think about alternate, alternate ways of our models of doing this. All right. So, Jim, back then in 2014, nobody at GI meetings was talking about private equity. This was never on the agenda anywhere. Nobody was talking about it until Jim Levitt did it. And, and so this was an across-the-bow kind of move, and you were the father of this in, in our specialty. So where did the light bulb go on? How, how did you come to this conclusion? So I wanted to get to a different meth, a, a different model to speed up. And I had several um, different objectives. Number one, we wanted to grow faster. We wanted to be monolithic. The other part of this was your practice, you own your practice, but the shares in your practice don't mean anything. They're worthless. They're just you, usually you get they're worth your share of the collectible accounts receivable. So how could we grow a company, create real value, real value for shareholders, and then look to the future? What was the infrastructure that we're going to need to build for the future when you have this large group? So if you believe that data is going to be important and analytics and machine learning and, you know, and natural language processing and predictive analytics, if you believe that, you needed to be able to spend a lot of money and to build this infrastructure. If I went to my partners and said, hey, listen, give up $50,000 for the next four years in salary, it's going to pay off in the end, they would have laughed. They did laugh me out of the office. And if I said, let's go borrow the money to do this and put your name on the line, they weren't going to do it. So we needed a model that would increase growth, density, and geography, be able to fund the kind of the deep analytics and infrastructure we would need to survive and thrive in the future and create real value to our shareholders. So that was my, that was my thinking. And so I happened to go to a private equity, one day private equity law firm conference in Miami in healthcare. And so I thought, you know, let me see where private equity is putting their money. Uh, maybe that'll tell me where healthcare is going. So the first group was, a, you know, there was panels. The first panel was JP Morgan and those types of things. And they were talking about the multi-billion dollar deals that were up there. Then the next panel is a guy gets up. Oh, this is our third private equity fund. It's our smallest. It's only $6 billion. And I'm just, <laughs> oh my God. And then the next one's $2 billion. And the next one's $500 million. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? Doctors are idiots. All these people are investing in us directly or indirectly and making money directly or indirectly off our backs. Every time we invest in ourselves, we knock it out of the park when we build surgical centers, pathology, anesthesia. So this, it suddenly dawned on me, um, this may be an avenue. This was in 2014, 15. This may be an avenue to be able to meet our, our, you know, our goals. It's like, why do you do private equity? Why do you do? Why does a company go public? It's not just the idea of going public and making money. It's it's a strategy to be able to achieve your goals. And so I thought this was a good strategy. So we in January of 2015 we put a, a book together and we had five meetings at J.P. Morgan Private Equity Healthcare Conference in San Francisco. It was a big hit. 
uh, at a party later that night, two of the companies, the private equity companies came up to us and said, hey, don't take it to market. We'll do the deal. This is on a 20 minute pitch. This is on a 20 minute pitch. So I said, okay, we have something here. So then we hired an investment banker, learned more about what was going on and understanding the market and then took it to market and, and did the deal in mid 2016. So you, you took this from initial concept to full implementation in less than 24 months. In about 24 months. Yeah. Well, that's including the process to get it done. Yes, that's right. Well, that, that's, a, that's an incredible story, Jim. I have to uh, take a little break here. Uh, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Dr. Jim Levitt, the founder and director of, of Quality for Gastro Health, and I call him the father of private equity and GI. Okay, let's, let's pivot a little bit here, and let's look at this from the patient's point of view. You obviously have, a, have built successful practices. You can't do that without having happy patients that, that um, you know, are signs of your success. How does a private equity investment in a GI practice improve value for the patient? Yeah, so it's still, I think people have a misperception that this private equity is now running it. It's still gastro health and all the infrastructure that we build. Private equity firms, if they know what they're doing and they're good, they want to build all that infrastructure into the company. They don't want to manage the company. They want to be, make sure that they build a great company. And so one of the big things that we really stressed when we went to market, when we chose our first partner was we needed to be true to our mission. And our mission was straightforward, outstanding medical care and an exceptional healthcare experience. So it was all about the patients, and that we needed to keep that focus no matter what happened. Now, obviously, if we keep that focus, there's financial rewards. We believe that. That's how good companies are. If you have a great product, you're going to be successful. We wanted that great product. So the first part was making sure that first and foremost, whatever we did, our mission statement is out there just about at every meeting. Uh, and and so I think that was the, the most important thing. And, and as you bring groups in, the single most important thing is to keep that culture. The business part follows the culture. Uh, I really think that's what allowed us to do this. So now we have access to capital. Most most private private practice groups, they're like ATM machines. Give me the money, give me the money, we're making money. Now we have access to capital to be able to provide enormous benefits to patients. So our patient engagement strategies, our outcome strategies, our data analytics strategies, all those things are coming to, to bear now. If you look at our reputation management scores, they've gone through the roof. Patient satisfaction scores, gone through the roof. You know, all those types of things are measures that we are able to do and show that the patients really appreciate what we're building. And we have the infrastructure and the professional management to be able to provide these things in a way that I think is pretty unique uh, from an ordinary eight or 10 person or four person practice. I, I've, I've um, discussed private equity deals around the country with uh, a number of practices. And w one of the, one of the issues that, that always comes up is as you grow, how you, you said the word culture, and I've heard you talk about this. This is a word that's in just about every one of your presentations. And I know you believe it really strongly. 
how do you replicate that culture in a growing environment like you're in? You've got practices across the country. So how do you do that? It's not easy. So there's not a magical thing to this, obviously. Part of it is picking the right partner as far as the doctor. So sometimes we go into these meetings, Larry, and what I want to do is just talk about what are their visions? What are their goals? What are our visions? What's our goals? Why are we doing this? Right. And if it meshes, that's a great start. If we walk into a, an M&A and introduce ourselves and the first question out of their mouth is, well, what's the multiple? Um, it's probably not the right culture fit. Right. And it's not the right reason for doing this. Now, obviously, there's some monetary stuff that's involved that is some helps be the catalytic component to this. But um, it's we start off with culture discussions when we meet these groups and, and we have a single platform. So we're all on the same platform, IT, billing, everything. And so that helped create that culture. And then it, there's different people that work together from these different sites to help build clinical service lines, to help build our EMR and make it more efficient. So we have people from different regions working together. All those types of things over time help build that culture. Yeah, you never you never reach perfection. <laughs> That's um, sure. you know one of the yeah one of the things we see in a lot of practices is they may have a multi layered uh, organizational structure on the billing side, but their clinical side winds up being really flat, and the and the doctors are still the ones that are making the you know MD still stands for my decision. The doctors still That's make right. the decisions. Um, are you building verticality in your clinical infrastructure across these practices? Yeah. So part of it is um, we start simple. It's going to be a multi-pronged approach. And we have a whole infrastructure that we're building now. Part of it was building out the analytics. We have unlocked our entire EMR and put it in sort of a data lake to, so that we can be robust with data analytics. And we have data scientists on board uh, helping us. But we've done even simple things. So we have order sets that are attached to a diagnosis. So when you have a diagnosis, if an order set is attached to that diagnosis, you can pop it up and there's the things that we want to do. Within the order sets, we have guidelines that you can look at. So you can click on a guideline and make sure you're following it. So we try to do that. Now, the next phase will be to be able to provide data back to the docs and how they're performing and to be able to build that uh, IT infrastructure be able to do two things, segment the population so you see who's falling outside the guidelines and repair that, and then be able to show docs how they're doing in a KPI, you know, you know, key performance indicators for the docs. And the docs are helping build those KPIs and build those order sets. So, and that's how we create the culture. Now, it's a work in progress. You know, I'm not trying to say we're there now, but we're moving there and we've done a lot of stuff like that. And so I think that's sort of where the real, it's where the rubber meets the road. And I, and that, that's where we hope um, to get, continue to get improvement. Okay. I have to ask you this question. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on now had to do with the fact that we've now seen two private equity practices have their second round of investment. You led the way. I think you had yours in 21 where, where your original private equity firm was replaced by another. You, you had your second round. Uh, yeah. And now one of the other major private equity-owned practices has done something similar. 
how does this or does it? I mean, I'm, I'm asking, I don't know. How does this change your world when you move to your second round? Well, um, it, it, fundamentally, it doesn't change anything. None of our doctors can see any difference because we our governance documents are the new private equity firm, at least in our situation, steps into the shoes of the old private equity firm. They have to abide by the same governance documents that we had in place. So doctors, when we did the deal, it, you know, the doctors, what do doctors care about? Their patients and then governance and money in that order, probably. So we had a very secure governance infrastructure that, uh, you know, made the doctors feel secure that they couldn't be told things that they don't want to be told to do. And so that they had to, the new private equity firm had to step in to those shoes and abide by those documents. So that no doctor felt a difference um, the way they practice. Each private equity firm has a different place in the positioning and the movement forward. So we now have a much larger private equity firm. They, they have other areas of expertise in the middle to upper markets that will help us drive further growth, further improvement, just they bring different levels of expertise to different size companies and they understand the needs of a larger company now and take us to the next step. Obviously, the private equity firms are working in, a, well, I could say, short term investment basis, but they've got a, a timeline when they want to get in, when they want to get out. What you're telling the listeners is that you actually selected a private equity firm that was able to bring you to another level of growth for gastro health. They weren't just replacing the first private equity firm. They were bringing more value to gastro health. Right. And so th- you can see like our first private equity firm is the lower middle market. They want to take a company that's five or 10 million in EBITDA and take it to 50 to 100 million and build certain levels of infrastructure. They know what it's going to take to do that and build the infrastructure, not within the private equity, but within gastro health. Right. Right. Now, to go from 100 million in EBITDA, I'm making numbers up, obviously, to 300 million, uh, it takes a different type of expertise and a different type of ability and know-how. And that's where the, the, the next round, the larger companies are specialized sort of in taking the company to a different level. Now, the company that we actually wound up doing this with was looking at us when we first came out. But they're a very large fund. We weren't big enough for them mm-hmm. to invest in. But they kept their eye on us. And when we came out, they jumped all over because they were pretty bullish on what we had done. You've gone through two rounds. Uh, other, other private equity firms are purchasing GI practices around the country. Where is this going? If you, if you had to rub your crystal ball and, and use your futurist abilities, what's this going to look like in 10 years? Well, when we say this, you mean the private equity world or general health care? Well, I don't know. I guess I guess the GI has to fit into general health care. But, you know, what are we going to see? Where is this going? What is the future of gastroenterology from your point of view? Well, I, I think there's going to have to be more consolidation. Um, what that's going to look like, whether it's going to be independent practices, private equity, which is still, we're an independent practice. People have this thing like, or whether it's going to be hospital-based. It could be all of that, and it depends what different doctors' needs are. But I think if you want to be competitive in this world, consolidation, at least in suburban and urban areas, is going to be critical. You know, if you're in the middle of 
there's no other gastroenterologist within 100 miles of you, and you're a six-person group, maybe you don't need to do anything. What it's going to take to be successful when everything else is consolidating, when hospitals are consolidating, when CVS and Aetna is consolidating, when who knows what consolidation is going to be coming down in the future. If the doctors don't consolidate, we're in trouble. And I think you know, that's our obligation to lead healthcare reform. That's what we are. We're the best advocates for patients. If we don't consolidate, who's going to advocate for patients better than us? Nobody. And so it's our responsibility to do that. And so I think consolidation is what we need to do so that we can have the capabilities that will allow us to thrive and survive and lead healthcare reform. I don't know who the payers are going to be. I don't know. Who, every market's a little different, but I have a pretty clear idea. And I know you have a pretty clear idea right now what capabilities we're going to need um, to survive in whatever the marketplace demands and consolidation will help us do that can you do you foresee mergers of private equity owned gi entity sure i i, I think right now most of the plat there's you know a couple of national but and there's some regional local regional and i think you'll see some mergers there certainly possible. You've seen that in other spaces in healthcare, right? So that are, that had done private equity before us. So you're starting to see that. So I, I think it, it wouldn't be surprising to see that. It also wouldn't be surprising to see a large payer purchase a large national GI entity. You know, at the CVS, you could, you could see United. Right. Who's the largest employee of, of physicians in the country right now? Optum. Optum, 55,000 right. doctors. So, yeah. right. You could definitely right. 55, see that. 55,000 physicians. So where is this going? Sure, it, that's a possibility. Um, you don't know. But but it's still some form of consolidation. Yeah, yeah. And that consolidation has to have the patient's, ultimately it has to have the patient's benefit in mind. As long as the patients are the ones that are benefiting, the consolidation makes sense. But as soon as we reach a point where we rule, we, we decrease value for patients, then the consolidation no longer has an impetus to go further. Any parting words? Larry, my parting words, it goes back to our mission. It goes back to our vision. Why did we do this? We have to stay true to the reasons we did this, um, however we consolidate. It's you know outstanding medical care and exceptional healthcare experience, leading healthcare reform and being best patients advocates. And if we can do that, then the consolidation will be a success. We are physicians. That's our obligation. That's the reason we need to do this. And, and, and I don't look at the other uh, platforms as competitors. I want all of us to do well. The last thing I want is any of us to do poorly. You know, when it comes right down to it, you and I are friends with many of the people who built those other platforms. And we've been, and I hope you stay friends. And so that's what's going to be good for healthcare. I appreciate you being on today. Thank you so much, Jim. And, and thanks to the audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com. Let your voice, lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at SonarMB. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well.